0: Good morning. Those of you who woke up in time to make it to church in class have my deepest uh, uh, respect this morning. And I thank you for being here. This is our final week. Ooh, I've got to change it to my computer. This is our final week on Paul and Scripture. And it's been a process a lot like what we've done with Paul on the Trinity or Paul on, on God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in that we've started pretty simply and kind of built forward. So if you've made it to week four, uh, you're, you, this is a heavy lifting day. Now, if you've not been here to uh, uh, for the last few weeks, that's okay. We've got some good nuggets, I hope, that, that will plug you in as well, even if you don't have what we've already done. You can always access it on the Internet. I saw uh, at the visitation Friday night uh, uh, for Pat Hooker's uh, uh, Husband Sonny, I saw uh, one of our class members who said to me, he says, "You know, there are some Sundays it's uh, it's 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 digging down pretty pretty deep there." And I looked at him and I, I said, uh, um, "Well, yeah, it, it is." And and I said, "Just try to stay awake. That's what I do when I'm up there teaching." And uh, so, bear with me. I'm going to try to make it through today. No, I I love this stuff. It's life as a nerd. Let me tell you what happened to us this week. Rachel's been on spring break, which means she comes home and sees everybody but us. <laughs> Except for um, a couple of days where I convinced uh, Rachel, and um, she's the good-looking one in that picture. I convinced Rachel to go with me on a business trip I had up in Philadelphia and Dallas. And so we went to Philadelphia first and, and I took that picture in the hotel room as she was showing me how to update my Facebook page, which... One of her sisters did for me because I don't even know how to make them. Um, uh, so we were sitting there and, and visiting and having a great time. The next day we took a deposition. After the deposition, we're driving to the Philadelphia airport and we see this sign. I looked at it. I thought, huh, Valley Forge. I remember Valley Forge. That was George Washington. That was like really cold and, and you know, a turning point in American history and the Revolutionary War. And we had a a, a professor uh, from uh, an Ivy League school up uh, uh, in the Northeast with us in the car. And he's always convinced that I think everything revolves around Texas. I mean, the universe has to have a center somewhere. And so I said to him, I said, Dr. Eagleman. I said, Valley Forge? Is that like the George Washington Valley Forge? And he says, of course. And I said, that's up here near Philadelphia? And he says, of course. Where would you think it was? And I said, well, I knew it was someplace cold, but I just figured that minute was probably up near Amarillo. <laughs> and he looked at me. He couldn't tell if I was joking or not. But don't y'all remember that picture of George Washington with the cowboy hat? Well, anyway, we had a great trip. It was great to be with Rachel. And it was fun to watch her try to slug her way through one of her political science books that she's got to do a report on, Hardball by Chris Matthews. And uh, uh, she's reading through it, and and it's just, bless her heart, every time I'd look at her, you'd you'd watch her, and she'd be reading. And then about five minutes into it, she'd go on the nods. Then about 15 minutes later, she'd wake up... Oh, are we there yet? And then oh I gotta keep reading. And then about five minutes later she's she's out. And I thought, you know, it was so much fun. It would be so much fun now to go back and be in school and really learn those things. I'm absolutely convinced school is wasted on the young. Because they're just trying to get out of it. Like we were when we were that age. But this is where I went to college, David Lipscomb. And I would love to go back and get to learn those things where I really want to learn them as opposed to, gee, I've got to get a good enough grade to get into law school so that I can hurry up and get out of law school so that I can work for the rest of my life. One of the things law school did, though, and one of the things Lipscomb did, they were really good not just at teaching material, not just memorizing facts, but teaching us to learn how to think. And how to process. Like in law school, uh, uh, Mike would tell you. I think it was the same for you. They don't really teach you all the law. They teach you how to go find the law. And how to learn what law you're going to need to find. It's it's the idea that, that one of the greatest things we can learn is not just data. But it's how to process the data. Or how to go find out other things. We learn tools. To help us as we get older. And so hopefully our schools are good at teaching the tools. Now I tell you all of this. Because we're going to look today at some surprising ways Paul used scripture. And what I want us to understand is Paul used tools for interpreting scripture. That Paul got when he was growing up. As Paul was growing up. Paul went to school. And, and Paul, uh, uh, he learned how to read Scripture. He learned how to interpret Scripture. He learned how to teach Scripture. And when Paul became a Christian, it didn't erase all of that. God worked through Paul to prepare Paul to be the man who could write these letters of God. So Paul's Hebrew training comes out, if you will. We need to remember Paul's training. Okay, I could have done it worse. I could have done it like this. But I didn't. We need to remember Paul's training. There's going to be a point to this. It's the point for home. I'm going to preview it now. You are who you are and God has put you where you are. And even if you have a ton of things that you brought into the relationship with God... He knows how to use those for his kingdom. And so when we think about Paul, we need to realize that it wasn't God just saying, okay, now Paul, erase everything you knew. God sculpted Paul, made Paul who Paul needed to be to write the scriptures that Paul wrote. Now with that, we've got a couple of last things to cover. First of all, as we've looked in the past at some of the changed scriptures Paul quotes from, it's amazing to me. And I can remember as a younger person trying to read through Paul's stuff, and I would find where he quotes the Old Testament, and I'd go back and look for it. And I was even a little bothered that he seems to, to put all of these things together into one scripture. It's kind of like he's bouncing around too much. And I thought, you know, is that just because he wasn't a very good scholar? What's going on here? Why does Paul bounce around like that? You know, it, it, to me, it's like um, if you ever try to get directions to somewhere. Here are directions from our church to Tomball, or Tomball to our church. You head west on Graham Road. Then you turn left. Then you take the exit. Then you merge on two. Then you continue straight. Then you turn left. Then you turn right. And then you turn right you got all these different things all put together. Oh, it's turn left. Oh, it's merge. Oh, it's this. That's the way Paul does Scripture. He like merges all of this different stuff together. Look at one of the passages. Here's a passage out of Romans. Paul says, As it is written, None is righteous, No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throats an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Well, he says, as it's written. You want to know where that's written? Okay, that part, Psalm 14, then he goes to Psalm 5, then he goes to Psalm 139, followed by Psalm 10, followed by Isaiah 59, and sums it all up with Psalm 36. And you might start thinking, this is kind of bizarre. Paul quotes Scripture the way I eat in a buffet line. I'm going to take a little of this, 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 and here's my food. Well, what Paul was doing is what Jewish rabbis did then. That's the way he was trained. That's the way he was taught. It's not that he's a poor scholar. That's what they did. I pulled out from what's called the Babylonian Talmud, which is a a, a, a written collection of of teachings of rabbis. It was actually written a few hundred years after Paul, but the, the teachings of the rabbis predate. Some go back hundreds of years before Paul. I pulled out one of the passages. This is from the Babylonian Talmud. It says, quote, "...from the Torah, the prophets, and the holy writings, it's shown that on the way on which a person wants to go, in that way he is led. From the Torah, and God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. And then, if the men came to call you, rise up and go with them. The prophets, I am the Lord your God who teaches you for your prophet, who leads you by the way you should go. The holy writings." If he is of the scorners, he'll be allowed to speak scorn. If he's of the meek, he'll show forth grace. They do the same thing. That's Numbers 22.12. That's Numbers 22.20. Then we hopscotch over because we've got to go to Isaiah 48.17 for the next one, closing it off with Psalm 334. Now you may be saying, hmm, interesting. But Paul wasn't just following the teachings of any old rabbi. There's another really interesting, famous rabbi in the new testament his name's jesus you can go and see what jesus says matthew 12 3 through 7 haven't you read what david did when he was hungry and those who were with him how he entered the house of god ate the bread of the presence which it was not lawful for him to jesus in that short four verses quotes first samuel 21 or references it Exodus 25, Leviticus 24, Numbers 28, Haggai 2, Hosea 6, and Micah 6. The Lord knew his scripture, didn't he? He had one up on us. He wrote it. Um, but this is the way rabbis taught. And in fact, there is a word for it that scholars use. This is called, a Hebra, in Hebrew, a haras. And haras means you string together pearls. Because this is what Paul did. It's like little pearls. The biblical passages are pearls. And he strings them all together so that he gets this beautiful necklace. That's a collection of a whole bunch of different pearls strung together. And so that's one of the Jewish ways that Paul was taught. Which we see and absorb as we read scripture. Now, you might be saying, so what? What? Why does that matter? Well, a couple of reasons. First, Paul was still Paul when he was writing. It does not take away from inspiration of Scripture to say that Paul is Paul when he's writing. It adds to it. Think about this. God is able to work in the life and the mind and the heart of a man to produce something which God, through His Spirit, teaches the church is Holy Scripture. Now, we know that all of Paul's writings did not make it into the Bible. Paul talks about other letters he's written. So, but, but these are the ones that Paul wrote that God said, these belong in my holy scripture. And so that's what we have. Another reason it's important. We don't need to be dismayed. We don't need to sit there and say, gee, was Paul a poor scholar? Oh, contraire, Pierre. He was a wonderful scholar. He had the Bible at so much command that he could take pearls and string them together to produce a beautiful necklace. And that leads me to the next so what. That is, we should be inspired. Oh, I want to know Scripture that well. I want to know Scripture so well that when I see someone in need and they say to me, here's a crisis I've got, I don't have to say, hang on, I've got a concordance. I might be able to find something that helps you. Give me a couple of days. Try not to die between now and then. I'd love to just say, well, here, let me just give you 13 different things to think about. Bam, 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 bam. And next, I think it's interesting that Paul is able, and we're going to see this in the lesson as we continue today, Paul's able to take these recurring threads in God's tapestry. Remember, those of you who are old like me, the song um, by Carol King, Tapestry. Okay? God's got these threads that go through history and Paul's able to pull that thread through the Old Testament passages, through the prophets, through the Psalms, through the holy writings, through the, the Torah. And he pulls those threads in such a way that we're able to see the pretty picture today. And it's a really cool deal. Now... That aside, we've got one last thing to cover before we're through with Paul and Scripture. Paul has some surprising interpretation techniques. We're going to talk about typology. Say it. Typology. And we're going to talk about analogy. Analogy. And we're not going to end God willing, until we finish with allegory. allegory. I, you know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a song about this. It's on the tip of my tongue. What's that song? What's that song? That song, uh, it's by uh, Sam Cook. I think it's by Sam Cook. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I found the obscure version of the song. This is not the one they played on the radio. This is one, through the wonders of the Internet, I was able to find. It's like the B-side of the old 45 kids. Ask your parents what that is. Okay? See if you remember this version. Don't know much about... Typology. Don't know much about Analogy. do know much about... Allegory. Don't know much about the uh, St. Paul's story. Mm-hmm. Oh. Y'all remember that one? Okay, well, you may not know that much about typology, analogy, and allegory right now, but you will. That's what we're going to do with the rest of this class. We're going we're to get this down. Um, typology, then, is where we'll start. Typology, what it means, it's off the word type. It's ology, remember, is a study of. So typology is the study of types. The idea is that somewhere in the Old Testament, or something in the Old Testament is a type or a, a model of something in the New Testament. I put a picture up of a type or a model of the USS Constitution and put next to it the actual USS Constitution. And, and so in the Old Testament, the idea is Paul found things that our scholars today call Types. And he'd say this is a type of something where the the full model, the reality is in the New Testament. So let's look at some of these types. First of all, Paul says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you with regard to a festival. Festivals are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, what's he mean? Some Jews would still celebrate festivals. They might celebrate Passover. They might celebrate uh, the the Feast of Tabernacles. They might celebrate a, a number of different Jewish festivals or even dietary laws, Paul includes in this too. And Paul says, don't let anyone cast a judgment on you or pass a judgment on you with regard to it, whether you celebrate it or you don't. If you don't celebrate it, that's okay. Because those festivals in the Old Testament, they were shadows, they were types of the things that would come in Christ. So, for example, the pictures I put up here. The Passover. The Passover in the Old Testament happened when, what? Remember? God's going to pass over the house of the Jews while the angel of death takes the firstborn from every other house. And... Honestly, I don't think it's that God was having trouble remembering which houses had the Jews. But for some reason, which Paul might tell us was as a type, God told the Jews to take a lamb that was without blemish and kill the lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it above the door and on the sides of the door. So that whoever goes into that house is covered above and around by the blood of the Lamb. Okay, is it because the angel of death is really going to be so busy he loses focus? And he's got to see that? Paul would say that was a type, that was a model. That was a shadow of something that found its true substance and reality in Christ. Because the truth of the matter is, the real angel of death that ultimately consigns every fallen person to the bowels of hell and the eternal death that's there will pass over those who are covered by the blood of the Lamb. But the real sacrificial lamb that allows that angel of death to pass by is Jesus Christ, the true lamb without blemish. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying this Old Testament thing, it's a type. It's a shadow. It's a model. Here's another passage that Paul uses. He says, our fathers passed through the sea and were baptized into Moses. See, as the Jews are going to the promised land and they're called out of bondage and they're called out of slavery and Pharaoh, the the slave king, loses his grip over God's chosen people because God has redeemed them through the blood of the Lamb that takes the life of Pharaoh's child but leaves alive God's people. And those people follow Moses. And the Red Sea is there. And Moses is used by God to part the waters. And the people pass through on dry land with water all around them as they head into the promised land or head toward the promised land. Now, Paul says that that is a type, that's a model, that's a shadow of a reality that's found as we're baptized into Christ. Those folks were baptized, if you will, into Moses. as We are baptized into Christ as God calls us from slavery toward the promised land. When we journey to the promised land. This is what we go through. And it's found as a type in what uh, happened with Moses. Um, here's another example. Paul says, Death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. They may have had different sins. Maybe they didn't eat of the fruit. But death is still there death reigns everybody's dying adam was a type of the one to come now some scholars will call him an anti type here because it's jesus was like him but in some ways but in some ways he's opposite paul's using it to show us that adam through adam through adam one man's sin passes to everybody i'm not over it I'm still a little mad at him. Oh, I know better than to use it as an excuse. God, please forgive me of the sin that I did because of Adam. Great, 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 great grandfather to the 98th power or however it be. But he he he, he affected us all. One man's sin affected us all. Paul says, in the same way, Jesus' righteousness affected all of his offspring and children. So everybody in Christ has his righteousness and his eternal life just as much as everybody in Adam had his death and his sin. Does that make sense? This is Paul using it as a Adam is, is a type, Paul says. For what we have in Christ. So that's typology. Let's look at analogy. What's an analogy? An analogy is when you compare one thing to another to try to help make sense of it. Analogies are, are difficult in some ways, but, but it's, it's basically comparing one thing to another. For example, If we want to compare two things to help clarify, I did that with an earlier slide when I said Jewish rabbis would fill speeches with scriptures the way we do food from a buffet. That was an analogy to try and give us an image or a picture of how they'd take all of this different stuff and put it together. They'd string pearls. They would uh, uh, um, uh, do it like directions on a map. That was another analogy that I've used to try and teach us that idea. Paul used analogies as well. Um, uh, It's something that happens commonly. Uh, As I was preparing the lesson this morning, uh, uh, I grabbed an analogy because I I said to Becky, I said, I need an analogy. Give me an analogy. And uh, I was listening to some music, and she said, well, I don't know. I'll get on the Internet and look. I said, oh, I can do that. Then I thought, well, I've kind of used analogies. I can use that slide. And then as I'm listening... I hear this great line from this new U two song. It says, "Stop helping God across the road like a little old lady." The name of the song's uh, 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 stand up comedy, I think, is the name of it. But I really like the image, and within the context of the song, what Bono is saying is, you know, God's not some feeble old lady that needs your help crossing the road. And I think we as Christians sometimes have a tendency to feel like we've got to protect and babysit God. It cracks me up when I will be around um, some people who (laughs) think because I teach Sunday school and I am a devout Christian, that, that my faith matters to me, they think I've probably never heard anyone cuss. I've been practicing law for 25 years. (laughs) I went to public school for 12 years, not counting graduate school and college. I've heard lots of people cuss. But for some reason, and it's hilarious to me, that even some people in this class, when I interact with them in their professional world, and they've got someone... That's smoking and cussing and you know talking coarse. They say to me, "I am, I am so sorry." You know, doesn't okay? Well, I'm not a fragile old lady. I've been around this stuff. You know, like God, I am so sorry that you had to hear that. Okay, we don't need to to treat him like a feeble old lady crossing the street. We're going to help God through this because he has trouble with this. Okay, we need to grow up. On that. And we need to recognize God's not some guy who who's lives a real sheltered existence and really needs our help because we're 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 men and women of the world and we understand how these things are. He is so much grander than anything we've got and anything we are. I was reminded of a friend of mine who has just suffered and suffered and suffered addiction issues. And my friend is at a place right now where, where I think he's conquering some of those by the grace of God and the help of God. But I sit down with my friend, and I just am able to sit down with him. And this is part of what it's taken. He finally says to me, he says, Mark, I think God loves me. And it finally has occurred to me that he knows everything I do. God didn't pick any of us. and He didn't choose to love you because you're there. He didn't choose to love you because you're the best parent in the world. Show me a parent who hadn't messed up with their kids, and I'll show you God. But all the rest of us have. And sometimes our kids mess up whether we messed up or not. Because they're descended from Adam just like we are. And every time our kids get, you know, I've got, I know some godly parents whose kids are just absolutely whacked out. You can't blame the parents, blame Adam. But God is beyond all of this. God, He sees it. He knows it. He knows the sordid, dirtiest, rottenest part of any one of us. And He reaches out because He loves us and He wants to heal us. And He wants to get us out of that muck. And He wants to make us what we can be. And He wants to take all of those tools that He's given us. Tools that we've let dull because we've left them out in the rain. Tools that we haven't taken care of. And He wants to shine them and polish them and, and, and sharpen them and tune them up and use them for incredible things that will count for eternity and make eternity difference because we let Him do it. But it's hard for us to get our minds around that. We've got God in a little box. He's sometimes the little old lady we've got to help across the street. And we just need to quit that. So stop helping God across the road like a little old lady. Now, analogy. The comparison. Where do we see it with Paul? Paul says, Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law. But the righteousness based on faith says... Don't say in your heart who will go up into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down. Or who's going to descend into the abyss to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it, the Old Testament, say? It says, the word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That's the word of faith we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Okay, now we're... You know, literate people in here. But you can read that, and I can put it up there, or I can read it to you, and I'm telling you, a bunch of us are going to sit there and scratch our heads and say, That doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. If I ask, and we took a poll, how many of you have either heard, or quoted, or read the passage of Scripture that says, If you confess with your mouth, down here at the bottom, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. How many of you have heard that before? Look, everybody. But whoever starts quoting up there at the beginning and works their way through that? Nobody. Because that doesn't make a lot of sense. You've got to sort of digest it. So I'm going to digest Paul's analogy for you. Paul's quoting from Deuteronomy. And here's the way the analogy works out. He says, Moses gets the law. Christ dies on the cross. Let's compare the two. Moses says you're righteous by keeping the law. God says you're righteous by trusting Christ. There's an analogy here. You know, it's kind of like, it's, it, let's contrast it. Moses says you're righteous by keeping the law. Christ says, God says you're righteous by trusting Christ. Now, Moses goes further. Moses in Deuteronomy says, you've got no excuse for not keeping the law. You didn't have to go up to heaven to get it and bring it down. God came down to the mountain and God wrote it and God gave it to Moses You've got the law right in front of you. It's in front of your eyes and it's in front of your ears and it should be in your mouth because you ought to be reading it. So you don't have an excuse for not following the law. That's what Moses says. Paul says in the same way that no one had to go up to heaven to find out what the law was, no one had to go grab Christ and bring him down for salvation. The resurrection of Christ, which is a resurrection we share, none of us had to go to hell and bring him back from the dead. So there are no excuses if you weren't following the law for Moses because you had the law. But there are no excuses for not trusting in Christ. He's right in front of you. I would trust in Christ, but it's a long way to go to heaven to get him to come down here and die for me. Oh, I'd trust in Christ, but, you know, he's dead. I'm going to have to resurrect him. That's going to hell, and it's a long way. And, you know, I've heard about going there in a handbasket, but I don't think it really gets you there. And I don't know. It just seems like a lot of trouble to me. Well, it says, no, the work's already been done. God gave the law to Moses. They didn't have an excuse. What kind of excuse do you have when God gives you Jesus? If God says you don't have an excuse because I gave Moses the law, you didn't have to come get it, what makes you think you've got an excuse when you've got Jesus right in front of you and some of you are saying, I don't need... I don't need. You don't have an excuse. I don't have an excuse. This, we're, You're not having to go find him. I'd have done it, but I couldn't find him. Where, is, where was the Lord? He, he's He's here. He's right in front of you. He's done what needs to be done. That's uh, an analogy, how Paul tries to make his point by comparing something out of the Old Testament. All right. The final area that I want to talk to you about is an allegory. Allegory is a weird word. Um, allegories, you think maybe of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia, or. You may think of uh, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings or something. Analogies generally mean in English that the original's fictional or didn't really happen or wasn't true. Paul doesn't have analogies from the Old Testament like that. Paul never says that the Old Testament didn't happen or that a story in the Old Testament is not true or that a, the, the, the statement in the Old Testament's not accurate. Paul never does that. What Paul does is he says, even though there's a face meaning to that Old Testament story, there is a deeper meaning that might apply to us. And there are two passages where he does this. In Galatians 4, starting with verse 21 and following, and then in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 8 and 10. Now, Galatians 4, and by the way, I have an extra Bible. Uh, I just opened it this morning. It's it's an English Standard Bible, English Standard Version. I'm going to use it and mark in it, but I'm going to leave it up here afterwards. And and unfortunately, I can't visit with you all afterwards. We've got to get out of here quickly. But I'm going to leave this up here. So someone who needs a Bible, this is a great one. This is especially good for people who have eyes that can read better than mine. Because this is real small print. But on the sides, it's got like these margins where you can write little notes and stuff. So if you've got good eyes and you don't have a good Bible with this version or you've hit a point in your life where you think God's saying, hey, I want you to dig deeper, uh, I'm just going to leave it up here. Someone come grab this Bible and take it home. I've, I've uh, uh, I've got multiple copies of it that have been given to me, and I don't need multiple copies. So... Let's look at this passage out of Galatians 4. And this is going to be another one that, honestly, I want you to try and follow it. And I'll bet you about two or three, one-third, maybe two-thirds through, your eyes are going to glaze over and you're going to start thinking about lunch. Okay? It's going to happen to at least 70% of us. So I want you to really try. I just want you to say, I'm going to focus. I'm going to read it. It's in English. I know English. I'm going to understand this passage. It's not that easy. Here's what old brother Paul said. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She's Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one... Oh, you should tell me to scoot up. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we're not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Is that crystal clear? Well, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, here's an allegory you got two options here to look at. Option one and option two. Now, option one is this slave child of Hagar. You remember the story? God promised, all right, I'm going to give it to you. God promised Abraham he was going to have a son. And through this son, the worlds would be blessed. Okay? Through the offspring of Abraham. And ultimately we know that's going to be Jesus. But Abraham's getting old. His wife Sarah's getting old. And they're not having any kids. And so it reaches a point in time where Sarah and Abraham are kind of saying, well, we're going to have to help God like a little old lady across the street. He just, bless his heart, can't handle it. Sarah says, and I'm too old now anyway. So Sarah has a slave woman named Hagar who works for her. Sarah says, Abraham, go ahead and have a child with Hagar. And since she's my slave and she works for me, that'll be my child. And we will help God out. So Abraham goes with Hagar and they uh, uh, have a child and, and the child is born and God didn't need the help because Sarah later conceives and gives birth to a child miraculously with her age. So there is one child that's the child of the slave woman, Hagar, and one child that's the child of the free woman, Sarah. And God's promised through the offspring of Abraham to bless the world. Where's it going to be? Well, Paul says the offspring, by the way, Jews really don't get along with the offspring of Ishmael. That's where the the Arab world traces its ancestry to today. And you can go over to Palestine, uh, not the one up near Tyler, but the one over near Jerusalem. You can go over there and see they really don't get along today. They didn't get along when Paul was there. And Paul says, look, here's what you got. You know, the children uh, that, that all the Jews turn up their nose and hate, they actually represent the Jews who are persecuting Christians. Because they're the real slave children. Because they're slave bound to the law. And the real children who are free aren't the Jews. The real children who are free are the Christians. Because they live the freedom in Christ. And, 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 and just like there's persecution that goes between these people, the, 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 the children of slavery persecute the Jews. That's the same way that the Jews persecute the Christians. And the real freedom, allegorically, is through Christ. So that's an analogy. Um, there's another one in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 8 through 10. And you can go home and study that out of your handout or some other places. But it's one that uh, uh, is useful and we're skipping through it. Bottom line was God cares that workers get paid. Uh, That's really good if you're a worker. Okay, points for home. I want to go back to this, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. If I could impart anything to you, whether you're a new believer, an old believer, or a non-believer, I really want to impart something to you from this passage, and it's this. God came looking for you. You're not out there looking for Him. He's looking for you. God comes to your door and knocks your job's to let him in you don't have to leave your house and go chase god down and try to get time with the almighty to see if he's willing to pry open an extra room you don't have to be one of the 700 people interviewing in in i think it's ohio for the one job as janitor at a school because unemployment's so bad There's not such a limit on the the, the heavenly dwellings that we've got to apply and hope and pray we interview well. God has done everything but beg you to let Him in. Christ came looking for you and for me. Next point. Paul said the son of the free woman was born through promise. The son of the free woman. Sarah's son. The son that God had promised before Sarah and Abraham tried to help God cross the street. The son was born as God promised. Now here's my question. God's promised. God has promised. He's promised to take care of us. He's promised to hold us in his hand. He's promised to help us pass from death to life. Not just in this world, but in the age to come. He's promised to return. He's promised these incredible things, and he's never backed away from a promise. How on earth can we have a God who promises, who keeps his word, and yet we still live like normal people who don't have it. Ah, I'm so worried about the economy. Okay, well, there's intelligent reasons to be concerned and to try and be wise in what we do. Consider the way of the ant you sluggard who stores up in winter. We've been told that by God. But within the framework of that, we don't need to be overwhelmingly worried because the lilies of the field have the most incredible clothing. And they did it without breaking a sweat. God has promised we don't need to act like the world. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, does not he speak, does he not speak entirely for our sake? And this is a passage that I sent you home to read about instead of covering in here. But here's the thrust of what Paul says. Um, God uses the tools from your life if you let him. You remember Paul found God on the road to Damascus? God had already found Paul long before that. Paul found God on the road to Damascus. He found the Lord Jesus. But God had been working in his life, wherever you are in your life. I can't say this enough because I need to hear it every day. You can be on plan D. You can be on plan Q. I blew plan A, plan B, plan C. I'm on triple Z. But that's okay, because God will take me today and do the best with triple Z he can do. And to quote Miley Cyrus, start all over. Miley Cyrus, man. And God can do it. And will do it. And promises to do it. And so I leave you with that blessing. In fact, let's bless through prayer. God, through the name of Jesus... We pronounce blessing upon us as a family before you. Lord, I pray that you will bless everyone who hears this message. At some way, you will give courage. You'll give strength. You'll give confidence. You'll you'll give patience. You'll give faith. You'll give encouragement. You'll give strength. You'll give direction and guidance. You'll take who they are and you'll mold them and make them after your will to do those good works that you've prepared beforehand for them to walk in. I pray that blessing on us all through Jesus your Son. Amen.